Hey there, Chris Roberts here. And today we are here with John Gorham. John, say hi to everybody. How are you guys doing, everyone? <laughs> okay, so John's going to tell some amazing stories about how he got into the investment space, talk a little bit about his career, and he'll be sharing his story with us from Japan, which is an awesome story in of itself. So John, let's open up with you share with us a little bit about your success today. So success is defined in different ways by people. It's not about money or building businesses or anything. It could be anything, right? But one thing maybe perhaps that you attribute to the success you're having today, and maybe that how the listeners could utilize that experience you have to help them with their success journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, I just want to say thanks for having me on your show here on your podcast, Chris. I appreciate that. Sure. Um, one thing that I noticed with a lot of the podcasts that I listen to and YouTube videos that I see with these kind of FI financial independence themes is that everyone's already financially independent. And I, I, so I was actually quite thankful that you would, you'd have me on here because I'm still on that journey right now, Chris. And I started, I would say my investing career back in 2018. I graduated from college in 2001. So I'm kind of showing my age here. And I started to just kind of go through the motions. I wasn't focused on paying off any kind of student loan debt that I had. I went to like a private school, so it was pretty expensive. Graduated with a bunch of student loan debt. And I thought that was just normal for people to have. I think there's, it's ridiculous. There's like half the, you know, half the people that graduate from college graduate with student loan debt. And so I figured that's normal to have that kind of stuff. And so I put that into the ferment and it was just accruing interest, which is so stupid. So I grew up in the Midwest and I moved to California. I moved out to San Diego, I think right before the financial or right before the real estate crash in 2008. And so I was out in San Diego when all that stuff was going on. And I talked to my brother who lived or one of my brothers who lives in Tokyo, Japan. And I met with him when he came to visit in California. And he was like, hey, you should come to Tokyo. This is going to be great, man. You should come out here and just come and teach and it'll be fun. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's, you know, I, I could go for a couple months or something like that. It might work. And he's like, no, you got to sign up for a whole year. It's just one year and just see how it is. It's a fun city. So I just took it. I was like, okay, cool. I'll go ahead. I'll do it. Booked a flight. And it was because my fleece was about to run up as well in San Diego. And so I was like, all right, cool. I'll try this out for a year. And I think I'm on year 13 right now. Wow. This just last month, I've been here for 13 years in Tokyo. This is where I met my wife and we got two kids and everything. And we recently purchased our house here as well in Tokyo. So without going into too much detail specifically about my investing career, which I'll talk about a little bit later, that's kind of my timeline here with getting out to Tokyo, getting out to Japan. That's amazing. So what I want you to take away from that is we all live in a bubble and oftentimes we run away from the scary things, the unknown. Uh, I was listening to your story and I was thinking leaving from San Diego to go to Bakersfield or to go to Southern Oregon uh, is not a far cry, but to go across the pond and go to Japan and then stay there for 13 years, that takes some grit. I mean, that's kind of scary and pretty tough. And it's a new language and everything else. And you settled in nicely. So I think the lesson here is don't be afraid to take chances. Sometimes it just takes someone in your circle of influence to push you a little bit, right? When I was younger, it took a good friend of mine to encourage me to move uh, 1,200 miles away. And it was pretty scary at first, but then I realized, wow, 
once I got to the other side of that and planted my roots, it was the best thing I could have ever done and changed my life completely. And you'll never know Monday morning quarterback if, if it would have been different, but based on your success today and the chances you took, it sounds like you're doing all right. So I think the lesson is don't be afraid to take chances. And if you fail, you just got to get back up and go again. Absolutely. So that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So let me ask you this, John. So tell the listeners, they know about your history from going to, from San Diego to Japan. We don't really know exactly what you're doing over in Japan and where that led you to today. Maybe share with us a little bit about what you've been doing there and then where you are today and what's next for you. Share that with us. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Great question there. And so going from San Diego to Tokyo, Japan, you've got to start with this. Most people, most of the foreigners that come into Japan start off as English teachers. There's a JET program. It's like an entry level. Someone who just graduates from, from college can come over here and teach English. And so I did a similar thing. It's called an Eikaiwa. And so that's, uh, it's just an English language school. So I came over and I worked for a private Eikaiwa for my first couple of years. And from there, I was kind of like, okay, well, you can only make roughly about $30,000 a year. I don't know what it is right now. So I was only making that and it's kind of like, well, you know, you kind of get stuck. There's like that ceiling there if you just work in these English language schools. So I was like, started talking to some different friends who are doing the same kind of gig and also talking with my brother who's still over here as well. And he's like, Hey, why don't you get your master's degree? So if you can get your master's degree, then you can bump up. Well, you don't need a master's degree to teach in a high school. So I started teaching in a private high school and then started going for my master's degree, learning online. And so you can get your degree online here. So I started doing that and then networking at the same time with as many people who are already teaching at the, at the university level. And once you start to know enough people and you network with, with enough people who are at the university level, that's kind of where you want to be because it's better money. And mainly the students are there because they want to be in university and they're not really there because they're forced to be there. So I went ahead and got my master's degree and almost immediately started, I sent out to as many friends as I could within my network. And I said, Hey, I just finished this program. Immediately I was hired for a job. And then that snowballed into talking to other people. And then there's a new college right down the street from within the university, right down the street from my house. It just happened that they opened up this new college and they were looking for a full-time assistant professor. I said, Hey, I'm ready to do this. So it's been a great kind of journey here to get to this point from working in an English language school on up to being an assistant professor. And then at this point now, I'm looking at finishing off with a PhD here. So I'm looking for programs to enter into, which would be about a four, possibly five-year program here. And then I could get into associate professor or full professor job if I wanted to do something like that. So it's been a long journey. It's not something like you can't just come straight over from San Diego or wherever you're from and just jump right into teaching at the university level. You need to have usually about three years of experience teaching at the university level. And one thing I didn't mention as well is during this whole time, I started my own Eikaiwa with my brother. So we started up our own business and that's still running. I actually stepped aside from that one. I stepped aside from that because it's so much travel and so much time that it took. And now that I've got a family and everything, it's just like, I didn't want to deal with it. But that's another option too. There are plenty of people who just want to start their own business. So that's a possibility as well, that if you wanted to do that, you can. That's very cool. So I can track with you. You were in San Diego, you had school debt. About how old were you when you were there, when you left? 
I think I was 27, maybe. Okay. So you're 27. You go to Japan, I guess, comparable dollars. You said you're making what? $25,000, $30,000 in Japan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The first couple of years. And how's the cost of living in Japan versus San Diego? I know San Diego is pretty high, but, but relative to the money you were making, is cost of living less? So that made sense or was it, how does that work? Yeah. So it, it all depends on where you live. And so I lived in the city in Tokyo and it was, I want to say it was about $700 a month for rent. Food's a little bit more expensive, but you're also not driving, especially yeah. in Tokyo. If you live outside of Tokyo, you need to have a car, some form of transportation. Sure. But I would just take a train. And of course, that's paid for by my work. So I eliminated that expense. I haven't had a car payment for the past 13 years. I don't wow. pay for gas or anything like that. So that's a huge expense right there that you're taking away. Insurance and gas, if you do have a car payment. So I would say in general, it's actually a lot cheaper than California. And another big thing is health insurance. So the first year that you're here, it's based on how much money you make. This is how much you pay for health insurance. And so if you don't have any income from year one, or if it's really low, you pay, I think it was like less than $10 a month for health insurance. Wow. And this is, but of course that's gone up now because yeah. if you start to make more money, then you're going to have to pay a little bit more. But that's been a huge thing for me though, that I don't think is talked about at all, especially in the States is like how much health insurance costs and how much money you can really not necessarily save, but it's been a, a huge thing for me with my family. Cause now that I work for a university, it comes directly out of my paycheck here, but it's significantly less expensive than if I were living in the States and paying for my whole family to have, for example, private health insurance or any kind of health insurance, you know, back home. That's interesting. So. You know, I find that really interesting because I have a friend who came to this country, literally the guy with the stick, with the bag, with the clothes, $5, no language. I mean, the whole thing, right? He's the guy you've heard about, right? And <laughs> uh, he's he was such a hard worker when he was here. Built businesses, retired, had several million dollars. Ironically, went through divorce, had a girlfriend who also had a successful business who sold it. And then they went and now they travel the world, right? But here's what's interesting that parallels what you said. Uh, he texted me, we were talking about insurance actually one time, and he texted me the amount of money he's paying. He said, each one of them pay, I want to say it was $150 each, and they have worldwide coverage. So the only place they are not covered is the United States. United States, right? yes. <laughs> and he said, it's similar coverage to what you might have, but a lot of it is the malpractice insurance and things like that. So nothing against the United States, love it, best country in the world, in my opinion. But yes, there's some exorbitant costs, you know, with medications, things like that. So I find it interesting that here you take this chance, you're making kind of entry level income at that time, maybe mm -hmm. a little higher. And you go over there and take this chance and you obviously lower your travel expenses. You go over there with quite a bit of debt, but you find that there's some surprises there as well, like keeping the low health insurance. And I can relate, as I said, because I've heard these stories from other people as well. Like, wow, you won't believe in Mexico what it's like. Now, sometimes it may not be the best care. Sometimes you may have to wait a while, but relative to what we pay. Boy, I don't know. As long as you know people aren't dying, I think you're going to be okay to get your tooth removed or whatever you need to do, right? For eight bucks yeah, versus yeah. 280 bucks. Well, Japan's definitely not a third world <laughs> yeah, country. Totally. I mean, it's we've got, you know, top-notch healthcare yeah. system here. Sure. Oh yeah, so, technology. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of, I mean, for example, one time one of my kids had to go to the hospital. And so my wife called the ambulance 
And I'm thinking as an American, I'm like, oh crap, this is going to cost like, I don't know. I started Googling how much is an ambulance? <laughs> how much does it cost? And there are some horror stories on there. People getting charged like 15, 20 grand for an ambulance ride. Sure. And so I'm thinking like, okay, this is going to be pricey, but you know, it's my kid. It doesn't matter. And then when she comes back with our son, I was like, all right, well, you know, what's the damage? How much is this going to cost us? And she's like, oh, it was $10 because we had to pay for his food while he was there. I'm like, are you serious? You got to be kidding me. She's like, oh yeah, kids from the time they're born until I think until they're 14 are completely covered under our health insurance. So any kind of surgery is completely paid for. Wow. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. So I started looking at that side like, wow. I mean, just the amount of, you know, if you just look online and all the horror stories about like people having to sell their houses and stuff like that, going bankrupt, you know, if they come down with some kind of disease. Yeah, it's amazing to me. And I really, really hope that the States comes around and starts to have some form of affordable health insurance. Sure. I think it's important. Yeah, it's a huge challenge, obviously, in our country. There's so many wonderful things about living in the US, but there's yeah. obviously room for improvement everywhere, right? So it's all good. But yeah, no, thanks for sharing with that. So let me ask you this, John. So with regard to where you are today, obviously you went through some challenges when you were a little bit younger, you've made some successful moves as you've built and pivoted, if you will, into mm -hmm. working as an assistant professor, I think is what you do at the university, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you have plans on coming back, but I'm sure they love having you there because you're an articulate guy. So that's cool that you're out there making a difference in teaching. So how did you pivot and shift into the multifamily or the investment space, or let's put it this way. Obviously, you went from a position of being in debt and having financial challenges and taking chances to gaining some clarity through perhaps your education, maybe life experience or time. But now, obviously, you're an investor and you've learned a lot along the way. Why don't you tell a little bit about that journey? Yeah, for sure. So I'd have to say that I had a really big turning point, like my sort of aha moment was back in 2018, I, I took my family back to visit my folks in Illinois and we would always rent an Airbnb. And so when we went back there and it's like, okay, let's go out to eat. We're booking restaurants every night. And my mom on the phone, she's like, Hey, listen, John, we just can't really afford to go out to eat every night. It's too expensive and stuff like that. And they're retired. And so I was like, all right, fair enough. Um, I totally understand what's your budget look like? I mean, what should we do here? And so she's like, well, you know, we're just, she didn't want to say it, but gosh, I hope my mom's not listening to this podcast, but <laughs> she said they couldn't really afford to go out to eat and everything like that. I went over to their house the next morning and brought my laptop with me. And I had my budget that I never set up a budget before, but I'm like, okay, good Google. Like, how do you set up a budget and things like that? And there's That's some great. spreadsheets. You can find tons of stuff online. And so I'm like, okay, we just went line by line. I was like, okay, let's enter this stuff in. And it's kind of like, wow, you're right. You really can't afford to go out to eat. And, you know, it's like my dad worked for the government. He owned his own business. He's got a PhD, he's a licensed architect. My mom was a school teacher for 30 plus years. It wasn't like that we were poor growing up. We're just a regular middle-class family. But it's like, wow, they didn't invest at all. I'm like, how much do you have invested? You know, it's like, well, we don't really trust the stock market or anything like that. And it was just one of these things like, oh, wow, what's going on here? So, so I looked at their budget line by line and that was kind of like, oh my God, I don't want to end up like this. I don't want to be in my seventies going like, how the heck am I going to, you know, take my family out to eat or something like that. So it was really eye opening for me at that point. This was March, 2018. And so by the time that I was ready to come back to Japan with my family, 
I was at the airport and I was kind of like Googling, like, all right, how to start investing, just simple kind of keywords here. And of course, the main ones that come up are like Dave Ramsey and Robert Kiyosaki. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to look around at the O'Hare bookstore. And I was kind of looking for stuff. I couldn't really find what I was looking for. So I just went on Audible and I downloaded Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So, and I listened to that on the plane ride home because it was a nighttime flight and everyone's asleep. So I'm just listening to this thing. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. So this was, that was my very first, I guess, introduction to investing was listening to Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And from there, I just started reading more and more books, got into like Tony Robbins. I think it's Money Master the Game, really good book here. And then from there, it led into Dave Ramsey. And I'm like, okay, cool. I got to do this. And it's time to get out of debt. There's like this simple baby steps, you know, that you can take to, to get out of debt and to start really investing here. And I thank my wife here for helping me out with this too. Cause she's like, you, you've got student loan debt still. Like she didn't know about this. I'm like, yeah, everybody's got student loan debt. What do you mean? She's like, no, that's not cool. Like get it, like run. So, um, so that was just one of those things. Like I just hammered that student loan debt and it took a couple of years to really get that out of the way. But one thing that was really strange to me was that when I did actually pay that off, I remember calling the loan department and saying like, Hey, this is my final payment. I want to get, make sure that everything is goes through properly. And this the lady on the phone is like, are you sure you want to do this? It's going to affect your credit score negatively. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I want this off my record. I do not want to have any kind of debt. Good for you. I'm just like, are you sure? You know, I'm like, yes, do it. And like, oddly enough, it did. It did knock down my credit score, like 20 points, which is really weird. You're penalized for paying off debt. It seems like, Yep. Uh, I didn't understand it. Yeah. It's yeah. really weird, but I was glad to get out of that. And then I was like, okay, what do I do next? All right. So now that I'm out of debt, now I've got to, what's the next step save up this three to six months for an emergency fund. And so I got to that point of trying to save up for an emergency fund and then COVID hit. So once COVID started, I'm like, maybe you should do more like a year. So I don't really, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. And so we've got a full year's worth of expenses saved up right now, just in cash. So it's completely liquid. And then from there, it's like, okay, what's the best way to start investing here? And all, all the books that I've read about investing, like the JL Collins, Vicki Robbins, Your Money, Your Life, it's all about like, Hey, go with Vanguard, simple index fund investing, and that's the way to go. So I, I started a Fidelity account because that's the easiest one as a U.S. citizen living abroad. So it's a little bit more difficult to get in with Vanguard. So I opened up one of those accounts and then I started talking to some friends at my university who are also investing. I'm like, wow, a lot of people are doing this too. So it's kind of cool. So that snowballed into me starting up my own private Facebook group, investing from Japan. And so from starting that one up, I, I did that with one of my friends, Daniel, who's on Bigger Pockets Money podcast. I forget which show he's on, but if, yeah, if you look up Daniel Mills, he talks about investing from Japan. And so his big thing is investing in real estate. So I'm like, I got to contact this guy and he's a few hours away from me. So he started telling me about what he's doing. He's investing in real estate in America and went through his whole process with me. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's get this Facebook group going. And now I've met just so many other teachers, lawyers, and business owners that live in Japan that are also investing in the States. And from there, I started finding out about syndications. I'm like, oh, cool. So I can actually invest passively 
in multifamily from abroad. And I don't have to worry about the toilets and the tenants and everything like that. Yeah. And then within my group, I started talking to other people about who are in syndications. And then this one guy is like, he said, Hey, you got to talk to Chris Roberts. Uh, yeah, it's with um, Sterling Rhino Capital. So I looked it up and then I called you, Chris, and just kind of introduced myself. And I found out that you've got to go through this whole thing. What is it? The 503B, I think? 506B. Yeah. You got to get qualified and, you know, make sure that we build a relationship and all that. So, yes. yeah. 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 So as a non-accredited investor, I think it's like, you got to have a million dollars in net worth and you got to make over 200 grand a year, I think. So I'm not quite there yet, but... If you're a non-accredited investor, you've got to introduce yourself and talk with the general partner. So I started talking to a few different syndicators and Chris, like you were the first one that I talked to that you really seemed interested in my whole story. And I was like, wow, cool. So I went from having debt being in the red to having zero debt, to having an emergency fund, to investing in index funds and started up investing in my first syndication here. And now it's kind of like, okay, cool. I've already set the timeline to set up for my next syndication to, to invest in here. So that's kind of my investing timeline right now. This podcast is sponsored by Sterling Rhino Capital. Are you sick of the stock market volatility and looking for something more stable and less emotional to invest in? Have you always wanted to be a real estate investor, but don't have the time or desire to be a landlord? Do you want to build a portfolio of commercial real estate assets, grow your net worth, and increase your income without having to trade your time for it? Sterling Rhino Capital provides opportunities to everyday hardworking people just like you to invest in private commercial real estate assets that make all of this possible. Become a partner and join the Sterling Rhino Capital Investor Club to get access to these exclusive deals. Text the word RHINO to 66866 to learn more. That's text the word RHINO, R-H-I-N-O, to 66866 to learn more. No, John, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing. There's such a valuable lesson here. And it starts with the debt, right? And taking the risk and the chance of going to a new place and starting something. And then being open to educating yourself and learning and obviously a life experience, which is so incredible. I just love that story, John. And, and thank you for sharing. I'm sure your mom would be proud. <laughs> she wouldn't be embarrassed. So. It's life, right? Uh, Sorry, is, mom, if is, you're listening. Yeah. Your parents are not unlike probably the majority of the population, right? And I come across folks all the time that lived in a different generation and it was a couple bucks under the pillow. I mean, 401ks weren't even introduced until I think the sixties or something. So, or maybe it was earlier, but it was a while. So there's just a different mindset, right? And with technology and access to information, we are progressing in the options, in my opinion, a lot faster than say previous generations, because they just didn't have access to what we have access to. So what I love about your story, and, and I want the crew to pick up on is it took a circumstance in life, a dinner with a family member that opened your eyes to the opportunity and scared you enough to make you realize that you had to make a change, right? And it was great. You had the wherewithal to go and pull out or look up spreadsheets because I did that a long time ago as well. It's not really taught in school. And even my first financial advisor I hired really just talked to me about the stock market. He didn't talk about real estate at all. Didn't give me lots of options. He kind of pretty much said, look, I've been doing this 30 years. Trust me. If you do this, you're going to be able to retire when you're 178 years old with $6 a month. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's crazy. And then fast forward, I did a lot better in real estate, let's say, right? So obviously your invest with Sterling Round Capital. We, we appreciate the accolades. We do care, by the way. Yeah. We love hearing the stories from people because 
we have all been in a position where we wanted more or we wanted to learn more. And it's about helping people, right? We all want to help each other. So what I love about your story is you took an opportunity and you did something with it. And what's exciting about that and what I want the crew to take away is you have to start measuring things, right? So that you can grow. Uh, otherwise, you're going to build up debt and you're going to get trouble. You're never getting caught up because interest rates aren't going down generally, right? They're going to they're continue going up, especially as your debt builds. And don't worry about the credit score. You get dinged oftentimes because they want to see the payments. And if you don't have a lot of regular payments, they can't really rate your credit score, right? So they want to see some payments. That's why. But it will generally kick right back up. So you educate mom and dad. You go and build up a savings fund. Kudos to you because most people don't have a savings fund. I think most Americans on average have $500 in their savings account. Can't handle a catastrophic event. It's terrible, right? And so it's my goal in life, uh, quite honestly, to educate as much as I can for free. I don't charge for this stuff, right? We get on calls, we meet up with people, we talk to people, we provide an opportunity, even just in conversations, not even just investing with us as a group, right? So I love what you did there and please keep sharing that messaging. So you got the savings account, which is a pretty good chunk of change, right? Then mm -hmm. you found the multifamily space and for whatever reason realized that you didn't want to be in the stock market, you want to be in multifamily. Can you talk just a little bit about maybe why you chose that vehicle to invest? What made you go down that path? Because there are options. You said you were in the, whether it was Vanguard or low funds or whatever. And I, mm -hmm. I took a similar path, um, but can you share that with me? What led you down the multifamily path aside from just hearing about it? Sure, absolutely. Now I should clarify that I do have my Roth IRA, um, sure. which is completely, it's just VT. It's the total world stock market. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things I, I just put the money in there. I don't check it every day. I'll check it like once a month just to see how things are going here. So I do still have that index fund as part of my investments, but it was, I, one thing I didn't mention was that growing up when my family and I moved from our first house into our second house, my mom and dad kept that as a rental property. So every summer I used to have to go over and I'd have to clean out all the crap because we lived in a college town at the university of Illinois. And we'd always ran out, my parents would always run out to college students and they would trash the house. But my parents were like, well, we kept the deposit. So, um, well, because we'd have to repaint everything and clean all yeah. this stuff out. And, and I hated doing that kind of stuff. My dad was always like, hey, this is what's going to pay for part of your college. Here. That's great. Um, and so we had rental properties. I saw what it was like. Okay. And I think once it was about 2006 or so when the property value started to really skyrocket at the time, my parents sold the rental property. Smart. Um, well, I mean, it's still being rented out to this day. That's wow. the thing. It's like they could have kept it. It was completely paid sure, off. I sure. mean, it would just been a cash cow for 20, 30 years. And but at so, their um, age too, though, right? They don't want to deal with toilets and stuff. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But I, I was just thinking to myself, they could have done a 1031 exchange and just keep building up and sure, it could have sure. gone a completely different path. Yeah, um, sure. And, and so, and then another thing that I remember specifically was in around 2000 or 2001, I went to go visit my grandparents. And my grandpa was like, he used to be a banker and he was complaining about how his stocks, you know, plummeted and he, he invested in a bunch of, I guess someone had convinced him to invest in like, was it like Cisco? And I don't know if he was in Enron and all that kind of stuff. He lost a lot of money. And so I remember him having a conversation with my dad while we were out fishing. He's like, oh, I'm not going to trust the stock market at all anymore. And my dad's like, yeah, it's a total scam. And that's the stuff I remember these kind of like sort of limiting beliefs here, where it's like. Actually, if you had been invested in index funds for over the long period of time, it's just not even done anything I and mean, just continued to invest like that. Yeah, you could. I mean, my parents would still, they would be okay. And if they would have kept the rental property as well. And 
snowball that into other rental properties, I think they would have been just fine. So those are things that, that were always in the back of my head was like, okay, cool. I knew my grandpa got kind of ripped off. How do you not get ripped off in that way? My parents didn't like dealing with toilets and tenants. How do you not deal with toilets and tenants? So those are all things that I was thinking about. And then talking to some of my friends here in Japan, and then talking to now my buddy, Daniel, who I started up a podcast with about how he's investing from Japan in American real estate and how you can get in passively. And so that's really where I was like, okay, cool. That's where I want to be. So I'm trying to get one syndication per year, at least. And then the rest of that's going to go into maxing out my Roth IRA. And then once that's maxed out, boom, start up, start up on my next syndication. Good for so, you. so that that's kind of my very simplified path here with investing. I don't want to overcomplicate things by like investing in individual stocks. I would like to get into real estate as an actual owner of a door or two here, but I don't really feel that comfortable investing from abroad without it being like a passive investment, like a multifamily syndication. Yeah, that's well, Hey, John, those are great goals. And I think that's the key. It's hard when you're like, for example, when you were younger, you're ambitious, you're doing all these things, you start getting a little bit older, you have a family of priorities, things take your attention away. Right. And it becomes mm -hmm. really hard to focus on anything other than the bubble we're in, which is get the kids to school. I got a health issue. You know, wife's upset about something. Husband's upset about something, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we have this bubble and we don't spend an awful lot of time investing in ourselves and educating ourselves and finding ways to inspire keep us inspired. And I find that's probably the most fascinating thing I find when I talk to people is, and I ask this question, I'm going to ask you in a second, but is how do you stay inspired? How do you stay motivated? They're different things. And actually you mentioned Tony Robbins. He actually talks about that. I've been to many of his events. Great guy. And he actually does some great business seminars too, not just the dancing on coals stuff. He's actually got some really good educational stuff as it relates to business. Uh, and so I talk to people and I say, I think the key is sort of getting out of your own head and maybe taking an hour or two that you would normally be dedicated to watching the family guy or whatever reruns you watch and putting that time in yourself, whether it be Robert Kiyosaki or anyone else, right? I'm an avid reader, podcast. I mean, anytime I have free time and I'm on the road or I'm in a gym or I'm on a plane, it's audiobooks, 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 podcast, podcast, podcast. You can't get enough yes. education, right? And uh, that is where you find those little nuggets of knowledge that you start applying and can really significantly change your life. And it's funny you mentioned the dinner and then a friend who mentions multifamily because my epiphany came when a buddy was at dinner with me, we we're talking and he was talking about rentals and I had land before a little bit. I had stocks I had, but I just never really understood the power of the passive cash flow model. And, mm -hmm. and then I read, 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 read and started researching and I did the same thing. So I love that you're on this journey and that you're definitely going to find whatever level of success you want in this space because you've realized the power of that passive cash flow investment and you're continuing to educate yourself. Plus, I love what you've done where you guys are doing, you know, the videos and you're starting to educate others and that's empowering and helpful because others will start to resonate with you and be drawn into you guys as well. And if you can come up with that model where you help people invest from overseas, next thing you know, you're on a deal and you guys are earning your general partnership and you pave your own way. Right. So it's very that's exciting. That's the next step. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It's totally, very exciting. No, I'm proud of you, man. That's great. I'm excited for you. And you're going to be successful even more than you are today. Congrats on actually getting the degree and taking the leap to move over there. It's crazy. So, so let me ask a question now, mm -hmm. obviously being in Japan, it's, it's different. You've been there a long time, but it's different. Right. And 
you have challenges when you have family in the US, you're all the way over there and you're trying to build this business and you're doing these other things on the side. It's a lot. You're hustling, right? You're working hard. And the kids, that's like a whole nother full-time thing. Regardless of what your wife does, right? If you're working, I mean, she's full-time too, right? With the kids, at least. Um, What do you do to stay inspired or motivated? I mean, how do you do it every day? Like, do you have a place you go, a mantra you say, maybe a place you physically visit? Like, how do you stay on track? I want to get a takeaway from every book that I read. So I actually keep a Google Drive folder with all the Google Docs from every book that I've read. And I'll speak out my notes if there's something important that I see in the book. So that way I can always revisit that at a later time. And I really try to take some sort of main point from every single book though, and implement that into my life. But uh, there is one book that I'd have to say, it's like the easiest book you could probably read. It's by Hal Elrod, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called The Miracle Morning. And he talks about this thing, the acronym is SAVERS. So it's silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. So I try and practice every single morning. I wake up early and practice like 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation, just sitting there silently. I've got like an affirmation journal that I keep and I, I revisit that morning and at night. And after I'm done with that, after I drop my kids off at school, there's actually, I live out, uh, technically it's Tokyo, but we've got this wooded area. Great place to go out for a quick walk in the morning, clear your mind, visualize what your day is going to look like, what's your week, month, your whole year is going to look like. I get a little bit of exercise. I read for 10 to 20 minutes in the morning, and then I write down what I want to do for that day. And I keep a journal. So as of right now, I keep a journal and I'm revisiting what I, what my goals were for the year. I revisit those goals in July or at the end of June. And then I also set up monthly goals as well that I revisit every month. And then I also set up a weekly goal. So I make sure that I, I check those boxes here and I don't hit those every time, but it's one of those things. It's like, that's what really keeps me motivated. It's something I've done with that book. I, that's the one I could totally recommend for anybody. It's super easy to read, but the Hal Elrod mindful, no, not mindfulness. Miracle morning. Miracle morning. Thank you. I almost yeah, forgot that it's one. It's a great book. Um, but yeah, it's just something I've used every single day. And, and yeah, that's really good. good. So yeah, that's pretty much how I keep good. motivated. And of course, my kids, my wife, got to give them a shout course, out as well. Of course, of course, yeah. absolutely. So, well, thank you so much, John, for sharing. Obviously, you need something that drives you. So when he reads a book, he doesn't just later on forget what was in it and think oh, it was a great book, it was a great story. He takes something out of it and he makes notes so that he goes back and remembers and uses those little nuggets to keep him fired up and motivated, right? And then maybe a little meditation, and just kind of clear in your mind. It's all good stuff. So thank you so much for sharing. I can relate to some of that. That's that's great. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. Folks, Chris Roberts here. If you like the show, please check us out on iTunes and write a review and rate us and tell the world so we can share the message. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day or a good night, wherever you're listening from and whenever you are listening to. All right. Thank you.